right, good morning, West Park. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. And as I was preparing this week, I I noticed something. We are obsessed with revenge. I mean, if you want to, if you don't believe me, first of all, you can look at our entertainment, okay? Think about your favorite movies and think about how many of them the main plot line is one of revenge. You can actually go and you can Google best revenge movies and you'll find a list of the top 60 and people are arguing about it. We are obsessed with revenge. One of my favorite movies is The Patriot. And I watched that movie for the first time recently since having kids and it just hits different. (laughs) It hits different. If you've never seen it, Mel Gibson is living in the uh, Revolutionary War and he's a father and two of his sons are murdered by a British officer. And you know, I used to think that the movie was about America, or the Revolutionary War. It's a movie about revenge, right? It's three hours long, but we can stick with it because we want that guy to get what he deserves, right? Three hours long, but we want Mel Gibson to get that guy. And if he doesn't do it, we would hate the movie. We are obsessed with revenge. Here's another one. I mean, this is embarrassing, but I noticed also this week that sometimes that actually trickles into other movies that aren't about revenge. So our son Knox, he's two, and he's in this stage where he only watches a a few movies just on repeat. So every family movie night, we basically watch Monsters, Inc., Encanto, or one of the Toy Story movies, and we're just on this loop. And so we were watching Toy Story 3 the other day. And I don't know if you remember that one, but this was the one with Lotso, right? He's this evil pink bear, and he smells like strawberries. I know all about it, okay? I've just seen it so many times lately. And at the end, you know, the the toys, even though Lotso's mean, they help him. But in the end, Lotso sabotages the toys and ultimately um, thinks that he's let them die. And they make it, spoiler alert, they make it. But at the end, Lotso's punishment is that he has to spend the rest of his life Uh, attached to the front of a dump truck and spend the rest of his life doing that. And so I'm watching this, seen it a million times, and I catch myself sitting there like, that is not enough. (laughs) Like, Lotso deserves so much more than that. I don't know what would have been satisfying in a children's movie. I don't know what I wanted to happen to the animated bear. Maybe I wanted a scene where Buzz Lightyear beats the stuffing out of him. I don't know. But I sat there feeling like, this just isn't enough. Like, he deserved more. We are obsessed with revenge. Revenge is the air we breathe in our culture. If you don't see it in entertainment, we definitely see it in politics, don't we? Here's one example. One well-known American politician summarized this well when he gave this advice in a speech. He said, if somebody hits you... You've got to hit them back five times harder than they ever thought possible. You've got to get even. Get even. And the reason is so important. Because if they do that to you, you have to leave a telltale sign that they just can't take advantage of you. It's not so much for the person who hurt you, which does make you feel good, to be honest with you. I've done it many times. But other people watch and they say, leave this one. They fight too hard. I say it and it's so important, you have to hit back. I mean, that characterizes American politics right there on both sides of the aisle. That is the culture we live in. If someone comes at you, you come back at them five times harder. And if you don't, 
you're weak, right? If you don't, you're weak. So as I said, it's the air we breathe in our culture. And yet the Bible responds with the story of Joseph. It responds with the story of Joseph. And so that's what we're going to be studying this morning. And let me remind you of his story, just in case you haven't been here during this teaching series. Joseph was a teenager, a 17-year-old in Genesis 37, and he had this whole life out in front of him. And then his brothers, out of jealousy, take him and sell him as a slave, and he is taken to Egypt. He's taken away from his home, he's taken away from the people he grew up with, and he's taken to a foreign land as a slave. And then, once he's in Egypt, because of the betrayal of someone else, he actually spends years forgotten in an Egyptian prison for a crime that he didn't commit. And typically, this would make someone really bitter, wouldn't it? If that was me, I would be unbelievably bitter. If Joseph's life was a Hollywood blockbuster movie, the whole movie would be about how is he going to get his revenge. He would sit in that prison cell day after day plotting how he's going to hit back five times harder. But this isn't what he does. Joseph through a crazy series of events, actually becomes one of the most powerful people in the entire world, second in command in Egypt. And his brothers, who betrayed him, actually stand in front of him. And yet, he doesn't get revenge. And they actually move to Egypt, out of the, the, the danger that they're in because of the famine they're experiencing, and they move into Egypt, and they actually live there for 17 years, their entire family. And that takes us to our passage for today, Genesis 50. Here in Genesis 50, Jacob, the father of, of Joseph and his brothers, has died. And Joseph's brothers get worried. <laughs> and they send Joseph a message that basically says something like this. Daddy said, be nice to us. Okay? <laughs> Let me read it for you. Genesis 50, 15 through 21, it says this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And here's Joseph's response. It says, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> After all that he's been through, if you've been here this summer, you've heard the story. After all he's been through, he responds with forgiveness. 
And I love this passage because we're given some insight into what enabled him to do this. Joseph teaches us three things about how to forgive, and they're all found in verses 19 to 21. So here's the three things we're going to be looking at this morning. Number one, when it comes to forgiveness, we need to, number one, avoid God's seat. That's verse 19. Number two, we need to trust God's goodness. That's verse 20. And then we need to image God's love. Verse 21. So avoid God's seat, trust God's goodness, and then image God's love. So let's do number one, avoid God's seat. So verse 19, his brothers write this, you know, they send this message, please be nice to us. And here's how Joseph responds. Verse 19, he says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? So one of the reasons that Joseph doesn't seek revenge is because he knows that he is not God. So what this tells us is that everyone who refuses to forgive is actually sitting in God's seat. Listen to the Apostle Paul, Romans 12, 19. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so when we seek to avenge ourselves, when we seek to get revenge, when we seek to hit back five times harder, we are making ourselves God. Our job instead is to forgive. And Jesus, though he is God, actually modeled this for us perfectly. Here's what 1 Peter says, 2.23. It says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So Jesus, our model, forgave. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk about forgiveness. And first of all, let me tell you what forgiveness is not, because we can get this confused. What forgiveness is not, it's not saying what the other person did was right or okay. It's not that. In our passage, Joseph calls what his brothers did evil because that's what it was right he doesn't say oh it's okay oh you didn't mean it oh it's all right he says no it was evil he calls sin sin he calls evil evil so forgiveness is not withholding accountability that's not forgiveness let me give you an illustration of this this is one of the best examples i've seen it happened recently and it's from a woman named rachel den hollander maybe you've heard that name Rachel was a gymnast growing up. She was one of the first women to come out against Larry Nasser, the trainer who was the trainer for the U.S. Olympic team. And it turns out has abused hundreds and hundreds of girls. And Rachel was one of the first people to come out against him. And when she did, hundreds followed. Now, here's the amazing thing. Rachel is a Christian. And she actually got a chance in court to stand in a room with Larry Nasser and speak to him. And this is just amazing. Listen to what she said. In a packed courtroom where the anger is just bubbling over, right? You can, you can imagine the parents sitting in this room looking at Larry Nasser. And here's what Rachel Den Hollander said to him. She said, if you have read the Bible, you know that the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially 
that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin that he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. You have damaged hundreds, and the Bible carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and its eternal terror is poured out on men like you. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. Listen to this. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. When we are targets and victims of someone else's sin, we are not called to respond passively as doormats. Rachel Denhollander forgave Larry Nasser, but she also boldly proclaimed, enough is enough. I'm going to fight to make sure that you do not hurt anyone else. So it's not being a doormat, but here's what it is. Here's what it is, and this is challenging. Here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is canceling the offender's debt that they owe you. Forgiveness means to love and give it to God rather than to hate and hold on. Because here's the thing. When people hurt you, and they inevitably will, they will not be able to make up for what they have cost you. Maybe they've cost you money, sleepless nights, your reputation, the love of a parent that you so desperately want. They will owe you a debt. Sometimes it'll be a small debt, sometimes it'll be a very massive debt. But they won't be able to pay you back. So what's behind Joseph's brothers reaching out after Jacob dies is that they know they can't pay him back, right? They know what they have done is evil. They know that they will never be able to pay back what they cost Joseph. And so they're scared, right? They're acutely aware that they haven't gotten what they deserve. But forgiveness is laying down our assumed right to have our offender owe us. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard. If someone wrongs us, everything in us screams, give them what they deserve. If someone comes after your reputation, what do you want to do? Go after their reputation five times harder. That's what everything in us screams for. But forgiveness is releasing them of the debt they owe you and absorbing it yourself. I love this. C.S. Lewis summarized it well, talking about how challenging the Bible's teaching on forgiveness is. He says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. It's challenging. And one of the reasons this is so hard is because I said earlier, we need to avoid God's seat, but we want to sit in God's seat. We want to be the God of our life. We want to be the king over us. But forgiveness is saying like Joseph, I'm not God. And let me point out, when when the Bible tells us to forgive, this is for our own good. God's seat is too big for you. You can't handle it. I can't handle it. 
So for our own soul, for the good of our soul, we have to forgive and let God be God. Revenge is like poison dipped in honey. It tastes sweet going down and then it destroys you from the inside out. And so we have to let God be God because here's the thing. Only God has the power to judge someone and not become evil himself. When you repay evil with evil, you become evil yourself. Think about this. The Bible paints a really clear picture. The fastest way to become like the devil is to try to be God. The fastest way to become like God is to refuse to be God. Think about that. The fastest way to become like the devil is to try to be God. And so when we don't forgive, we are trying to be God. And this explains our world. Our world, all of humanity, is in a vicious cycle of tit for tat. You hit me, I hit back. But our goal is to break the chain of evil. And forgiveness breaks that chain. That's our goal as Christians, to break the chain. Jesus makes this clear when he tells his followers, bless those who curse you. You ever thought about that? What that means, bless those who curse you. You know what a blessing is? When you bless someone, you're saying, I want the best for you. I want good for you. So I bless you. And Jesus says, bless those who curse you. That's radical, right? He doesn't just say, ignore those who curse you. No, desire their good. Pray for their good. It's what Rachel Denhollander did. Do you notice that? She did it perfectly. She held him accountable. But then did you notice how she ended it? I hope you experience the forgiveness that God offers. That's what she said. You have abused me. You have abused hundreds of others. But I hope that you will experience the forgiveness that is offered. She's staring at this man in the face. And you know what she's saying? I hope I spend eternity with you. She's blessing the man who cursed her. That's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. And that's what we're called to as Christians. Think about it like this. As Christians, we're called to act like a water purifier. Think about that. A water purifier, what does it do? It takes in the toxins and it gives out clean water. That's what we're called to. We take in the hate and we give out love. We take in the curse and we give back blessing. One author summarized it this way. He said, there are no perfect human communities. And so our task as Christian disciples is to be that place where the gossip, the negativity, and the scapegoating stop because like water purifiers, we take it in, we absorb it, we transform it, and we do not give it back in kind. That's our, that's our job as Christians. Can you imagine what the world would look like if Christians took this seriously? If all the Christians did this, if all the Christians left here and said, I'm going to be a water purifier today, you come at me with curse, and you know what you're going to get back? Blessing. That's what we're called to as apprentices of Jesus Christ. Because that's what he did. That's what he did. Before I move on, let me acknowledge something 
here because I just I hadn't thought about this before. I was reading a, a book this week on forgiveness just to help prepare for this, and the, the author pointed out something really interesting. I hadn't really thought about this. He pointed out that th- this whole topic of forgiveness, it's not that big of a deal to, to me, but the older you get, the harder this gets. Is that true? It sounds like that's true based on your all's reaction right there. The older you get, the harder, you, the harder this gets. The author, just, the author points out, he says, for younger people generally, this is talking in general terms, but for younger people, the most challenging struggle is typically lust. But he says the older you get, it becomes anger and bitterness. Because here's the thing, when it comes to being wounded, it's not, it's not when, or it's not if we'll be wounded, it's when we're going to be wounded, right? Life, it, we're going, in a simple world, we're going to be wounded. And so the author's point is, after 70, 80, 90 years, the wounds add up, right? The wounds add up. And so it is challenging to not be bitter. And so let me just encourage you, because I know we have a lot of amazing older saints in this room. What an amazing picture of Christ's likeness to be 70, 80, 90, to have the wounds that everyone has, and to not be angry, to not be bitter, to be loving. Wow, right? Wow. And so let, let me just say that, I, I mean, I, I was preparing this, and I read this, and I'm like, I'm not qualified to teach this. And so here's what I'll say. Let, let me say this. I'm going to do my best here. And if you are one of those 60, 70, 80, 90-year-olds who's been following Jesus and you're not bitter (laughs) and you're not angry at the world, grab a young adult, take them to coffee, and teach them how to do this, okay? Including me. Including me. I'll try my best here to teach this. But what an amazing testimony. What an amazing testimony to God's goodness, especially in a world where bitterness is the norm. It's amazing. So all this to say, forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is hard. Responding to a curse with a blessing is hard. How in the world do we do that? Well, I think point two will help. Here's the second thing we see from Joseph. To forgive others, we need to trust God's goodness. Verse 20 is probably the most famous verse of the Joseph story. Joseph says this to his brothers. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Some of you, I mean, in a room this size, maybe a lot of us, have people that we cannot forgive. We can't forgive. And so as we're, I'm talking about forgiveness, as I'm reading this passage, you're nodding along. But in your head, you're saying, Yeah, but (laughs) not this situation. You don't know what I'm actually going through right now. You don't get it. And the reason we can't forgive is because that person took something that you can never get back. They took your family or your peace of mind or your reputation or your innocence. They damaged you in some way. And you hate them for it. And that's why you can't forgive. 
But let me ask a question, and it doesn't excuse what they've done. Talked about that. It doesn't excuse what they've done. But let me ask you a question. What if you truly believed that there was a good God who has always been walking with you as your shepherd? What if you believed that there was a good God who never in anything that you've been through lost control, was always in control? What if you believed that through, through every difficult thing you've walked through, through every wound that you still feel, God was your shepherd walking alongside of you? What if you believed that, truly believed that? Would that enable you to forgive would that enable you to forgive that person who hurt you? Because that's what we see with Joseph, right? He was in a prison cell, right? We know the end. We know his story. We're like, oh, it must have been fine in the prison. He knew what was going to happen. No. He's stuck in a prison cell, and he could have gotten bitter. But why didn't he? Because he knew God was with him, right? He knew that his shepherd was walking alongside of him. So he never got bitter. There's a famous story in the life of Corrie Ten Boom. Amazing woman. Corrie was a Dutch Christian. And she was arrested and thrown into a concentration camp for helping Jews during World War II. She wrote a story, a book about her story called The Hiding Place. Maybe you've read that. And she tells a story, and I love this, of her and her sister Betsy. And when they got taken to the concentration camp, they got put into a flea-infested room. So not only were they in a concentration camp, they were in a room that was infested with fleas. On top of everything else they were going through. And in their suffering, Corey's sister Betsy, who was just amazing, reminded her that the Bible calls them to give thanks in all, all circumstances. So Betsy said, we need to thank God for these fleas. To which Corey responded, there is no way God can make me grateful for a flea. Well, Corey and Betsy, amazing godly women, started having worship services in their room. And they did this. It was a great risk to do this. Because if they were found out, they would have gotten beaten and maybe killed. So they started and they were kind of nervous. But here's what they noticed. Night after night. After night, they were having these worship services, and no guard ever came by. It was the only place in the entire camp that wasn't under constant supervision. I bet you can guess why. No guard wanted to go to a flea-infested room. And they realized that. And the sisters, just awesome, so they looked at each other, and they said, Thank God for these fleas. Let me ask, what are the fleas in your life? The things that you say, I could never be grateful for that. I believe God is good, but I could never be grateful for that. What's the flea in your life? And do you trust God enough to give him thanks for that? That's what allowed Joseph to forgive. But we can't stop there. Here's point three. In our forgiveness, we are called to image God's love. In verse 21, Joseph says to his brothers, So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. 
So Joseph experienced the love of God, and in return, he loves others. Even the people who don't deserve it. Even though, even his brothers who wasted years of his life. And so what enables us to forgive? The love of Jesus. That's the answer, right? As a Christian, why can we be a water purifier? Why can we step out into a world that is bitter and hates each other and just is constantly hitting back tit for tat? Why can we step out into that world and be totally different? Because of Jesus' love for us. That is why. So think about that. I just, this just hit me this week, and I, hit, me, hit me different than it has. I just want you to think about this. Jesus taught a lot on forgiveness, right? Sermon on the Mount, parables, bless those who curse you, pray for your enemies. That was a constant theme. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't practice what they preach, right? They don't practice what they preach. But what about Jesus? Jesus says, forgive your enemies. Jesus says, bless those who curse you. And then that was put to the ultimate test. Jesus, though he was completely innocent, was torn to shreds by Roman guards. He had a crown of thorns stuck in to his head. He was beaten and he was mocked and he was hung on a criminal's cross. And how did he respond? How did he respond? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. At his lowest point, forgiveness oozes out of him. <laughs> he just can't help it. You're beating me. You're mocking me. But Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So how do we forgive? Why do we forgive? Because here's what we know. No one deserves forgiveness. Yet while we were still sinners, it's precisely when Christ died for us. We are so sinful that he had to die for us. But we are so loved that he was willing to do it. And so what's our response? Go do likewise. <laughs> Love like that. C.S. Lewis summarized it so well. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. I'll close with this. So Corey Ten Boom, to finish her story out here, she was, a rich, she was eventually released from, from the concentration camp, amazingly. Unfortunately, her sister Betsy died in the camp. And several years after the war, Corey was going around and she was speaking and telling her story. And in 1947, she was speaking in Germany on forgiveness. Wow. <laughs> and something amazing happened. And this is a little long, but it's so powerful. I just I have to read it just so we can hear her own words. Here's how, here's how she recounts her experience. She says this. It was 1947. 
and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood in silence, and silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visor cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him (laughs) and the leather crop swinging from his belt It was the first time since my release that I'd been face-to-face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I'd like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the filling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do.
we have a little time. So I just want us to have a chance to respond in prayer, okay? Just to go to God in prayer. And this can go a couple different ways. If you want to, just pray silently to yourself. Maybe ask God to, to reveal people that you haven't forgiven, that you need to forgive. Maybe you need to gather up with people and pray together. Ask for prayer. Pray for our church that when we leave here, we will be those water purifiers who take in the hate and give back the blessing. I'll go farther. Maybe there's someone in this room and you need to be the guard and you need to go ask forgiveness and say, I wronged you and I'm sorry. Maybe there's a phone call you need to go outside and make. I don't know. I just want to give space here for that. And so let's just take this time, do what you need to do. We'll take about five minutes and then I'll come back up and, and pray to close us.